This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Romans 6 will be um, helpful to you to begin. Galatians 2 as well. Romans 6. As we've mentioned, we're looking at the nature of true Christianity and as this sign shows that uh, Christianity makes an explicit claim or well it, it reiterates the claim that Christ made that there is one way to the Father through the Son and so um, although there is this exclusivity about Christianity Christian denominations are, are a different thing so once a denomination begins to claim that it has the sole uh, holding of of truth, then uh, you know that there is generally something earnestly wrong there. But let's keep moving. We've talked of through death to resurrection, and uh, you know, as the picture proclaims, he is not here, for he has risen. Um, you know, and that'll be where the Hallelujah chorus would would start up. Um, now, we want to continue moving through. There's a lot to get through today uh, because, as I said, I'm not doing recaps. Uh, We're going to keep moving through, so I've tried to combine two into one here. So therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. You can replace the word baptism with the word immersion, through immersion into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning for your word. Uh, thank you, Lord, for such glorious passages that give us so much uh, direction and so much light into our lives. Lord, let our hearts be open to your truth. Let us discern truth from error. Lord, that we might hold on to that which is true, cling to it and live by it. In Christ's name, amen. So, after the rejection of self and the death of self and the death to self that continues in life, there is a resurrection. We're raised as a new person. But Christ lives in me. The life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we saw in the transfiguration of Christ that there was a uh, a prefiguration of Christ's resurrection to glory, uh, that, that there he was in a radiant glory in that occasion, and uh, when he was resurrected, he was resurrected in a glorious appearance. Luke 9 says, As he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. Matthew records it in chapter 17, verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, or or changed before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Now, we mentioned last week, 
we started focusing in on the end that events in history are, are events in history because they happen at a location and at a time. Without both time and location, then history doesn't happen. That's what history is. It is something that happens at a time and a place. History is comprised of time and space. And we mentioned that that is, uh, uh, that is the nature of every event. Every event occurs at a time in history and at a location in geography. Time and space are the warp and woof of history and that is a description of thread that you have the horizontal and the vertical threads uh, that comprise the warp and the woof uh, forming a thread. And life is comprised of these two things that intersect. You have time and you have uh, a location that occurs and life happens on this, these planes. So, we finished last week with Acts 1 verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Let's move on to Acts chapter 9, verses 3 to 4, where Paul encounters the Lord. This is another event in history. This occurred at a time and a location. As he journeyed... He came near Damascus. And so there is a location that's identified, the same location. Damascus is claimed to be the longest enduring city in the world. Uh, And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So some similarities to the Mount of Transfiguration. There's a light involved. There's this radiance And there is a voice heard from heaven, as happened uh, at the Mount of Transfiguration. It's a very moving scene. That's the the violins. (coughs) Oops, hang on. So Paul replies, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, or Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground And when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. In other words, he was blind. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So we have a time and a location that forms this event. And the time is able to be told. And we will see that Paul identifies this time in Acts 22 and Acts 26 as being around midday. We know the location. It's on the road to Damascus, and in fact, near Damascus is the description. So this is space and time. This is geography and uh, time. This is rational communication from Scripture. Scripture is describing to us events that took place at a location and at a place in time so that they can be ratified. Now, it wasn't some 
mystical record, we might look at this encounter and see the supernatural aspect of it, but it happened in history. Now, it doesn't stop here. Many years later, another man was on the Isle of Patmos. That man is John. And in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, he records that he saw Jesus. Now, this is not the only, the only other encounter of, a, of an encounter with Jesus. Stephen looked up into heaven as he's being stoned and, the, and the, there he saw the Lord of glory seated at the right hand of the Father. But here are two examples after the ascension of Christ, that the glorified Christ was seen, spoken to in space and in time. After the ascension, these things happened. So, Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. John records, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven golden lamp, uh, the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the cho- uh, chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. John is describing what he actually saw in that actual location. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. It's a great passage to go to when you're talking to the cults and, and particularly the Jehovah's Witnesses. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and of death. This is not the end of what John brings to us in this remarkable record. Revelation 19, 11 to 16 speaks of the future coming of Jesus, an event to happen in space and time, or otherwise known as history. An event that it will include locations, and those locations are described. Megiddo, I can't pronounce it properly, Megiddo, the Mount of Olives, uh, the Temple. The Bible does not deal with these events in some esoteric manner. It deals with them as actual events that will occur. It deals with his real and historic death, his real and historic resurrection, his real and historic ascension. The Bible says that the day will come when the saved and the unsaved will look upon the glorified Christ. Every man will see him. Not then as a religious icon. Not then as some sort of religious idea, but they will see him glorified and that will occur at a time and in a place. It is going to be an actual event that will take place. But these passages make it clear that Christ is not to be glorified then. He has been glorified. 
with his resurrection, he's been resurrected into his glorified state. The glorify, uh, glorification of Jesus is not pushed off into a, a future-only event. It's taken place. He's glorified now. His ascension was not a disappearance into nothingness. He, wasn't, he didn't ascend as a spirit. You know, it didn't turn into a vapor and disappear. He ascended. And between his ascension and his reappearance, he hasn't ceased to be. He appeared to John. Stephen saw him as he looked up into heaven. This is Jesus as he is now, glorified at this present moment. It's not just passing time in a spirit form. So where are we going with this? There are several things that come before us. First of all, when you look at Acts 22 and 26, Paul identifies that Jesus spoke to him in Hebrew. He doesn't just say that he came to an understanding, but he spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue. That's interesting. That Jesus appeared and spoke with John at Patmos. We have clear proof of historics, a, 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 a historical resurrection with these texts. This physical resurrection, scripturally, is proof of the finished work of the cross. The fact that Jesus resurrected is proof that he conquered death. And this is what the cross was about, the conquering of sin and death. Sin brought with it death. Jesus brought victory over that. And that nothing, therefore, can be added to his glorious substitutionary work for our justification. That Jesus came, as Philippians declares, to serve us even to the point of death. This was his substitution for us on our behalf. Even this doesn't exhaust the matter, though. We're told in the word of God by the Apostle Paul that in Christ's resurrection, we see the promise. And we mentioned it already in Colossians before, but of the first fruits of our own coming physical resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and to all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. This is not a world of just religious ideas. <coughs> Paul insists that Christ has been resurrected and glorified and is reigning and he will put an, an end to all other forms of authority, deliver the kingdom to God the Father. And he talks of this as actual events that will take place in history to come. 
And the church has this promise of the individuals being resurrected to him. Hallelujah. This is why Paul is able to declare, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? His death, Christ's death, Messiah's death on the cross is of such a nature that you can be wholly redeemed. Wholly redeemed. In one specific day, your body will be raised from this mortality into immortality. How awesome is that? But it means more than this. It means more than just this future. We're talking about a lot more. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul is not talking here when he writes to the Roman church about some future event. He's talking about the here and now. So turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We have a lengthy passage there, but... I've mentioned before that this is a wonderful passage for you to work on and uh, you know spend time meditating on and, and growing in because it has so much to deal with our lives in the here and now. Romans 6. <clears throat> what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died, past tense, to sin, who died to sin, live, present tense, any longer in it? How shall we who have died continue living in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died, has been freed from sin, past tense. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, past tense, but alive now presently to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body presently, he is speaking of, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members presently as instruments of righteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. A powerful passage, and one that is really helpful to you and I in the living of the Christian life. There are three points to note here. Christ died in history. That is the point we've been making thus far. This is an event that happened in time and space. Uh, time and geography, 
And if you'd been there that day, you could have taken your hand and touched that cross. After they'd taken his body down, you, you could have felt the blood stained, staining that cross. Second, that Christ rose in history. We've made a strong point of this, that he is, he is in his glorified state. And this is the opposite of many liberal theologians um, that even to the point of um, uh, some theologies that say that, well, Christ is the Lord. When you preach Christ crucified, that's when he is glorified. Bizarre things that people come up with. Jesus is resurrected and he is Lord. Amen. And thirdly, that Paul speaks of this, that when we have placed faith in Christ, we died with him by the placing of saving faith in him as our saviour. If we, we have accepted Christ as saviour, that's now past. That is a past tense event. If you talk about your salvation experience, you will reflect upon the events leading up to when you got saved and when you got saved and you look back at that and then you talk about what God is doing in your life now, but that is the, the present tense situation. So, salvation is rooted in two historic geographical and time points. The first one is the finished work of Christ, Messiah's work at Calvary. That is the first one. When Jesus actually went to the cross, your salvation depends on that, that he actually went to, a, to the cross and was crucified. The second one is when you individually responded <coughs> By placing faith in Jesus Christ. If that hasn't happened, you're not saved. Oh, but I was raised a Christian. You may have been raised within a realm where Christianity was taught, but that does not make you a Christian. And so here are the two points upon which your salvation is rooted. Christ's death at Calvary and your placing of saving faith in him. Paul says in Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What happened? You placed faith in Jesus and you have peace with God the Father. Why? Because of Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is through his work that you now have peace with God the Father on the basis of placing a faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified, past tense, we have, present tense, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Romans 6, verse 2, Connects to verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2 says, certainly not. How shall we who died? Are you dead? You, you, we should be able to say, I'm dead to sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus my Lord. The verb died here is in the aorist tense 
And this means that there is a singular focus on a past tense event. Certainly not. How shall we who have died? Paul says that there was a point. If you are a believer in Yeshua Messiah, there was a point of time that you died to sin. When we accepted Christ as Saviour, we died with him. How have we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Romans 6 verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death or through immersion into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. That refers... (coughs) to the time when we accepted Jesus as Saviour. At that time you were immersed into his death so that you could be raised in the new birth to live in him, to walk in a new life. And, you know, you can probably, most of us can probably remember back to that occasion when you placed faith in Jesus Christ and everything was transformed at that time. So much was transformed about the way you thought and the, and the thinking processes you had, the things that you agreed with before, that you disagreed with after that event for no apparent reason. But that's the work of salvation, that God begins transforming us, knowing this, that our old man was crucified, past tense event, with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So this is a third historic point. We died with Christ when we accepted him. Christ died in history. He rose in history. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace. Having been justified, past tense, We have peace, present tense, with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth point is that we will be raised by him as he was raised. The clock keeps going. When you become a Christian, the clock continues to tick in your life. When the word is spoken and every Christian comes forth from the grave, the clock on the wall is not going to stop. It's not that... You and I, that that time just stops immemorial, it will still turn. It's conceivable that Jesus could return before the very end of this message. The clock on the wall is not going to stop with that. The future resurrection with this present body and our future changing will take place in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. The time that it takes for light to reflect off the eye and, and be seen. That's pretty fast. This is going to be in, in, at a time in history, at a place and at a time in history. Romans 6 verse 5, For if we have been, past tense, united together in the likeness of his death, burial, immersed with him into death, certainly we shall be we, sh- we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, raised to a new life. And just as Christ has been resurrected into his glorified body, 
we also shall be. So we have experienced a resurrection of sorts already, but it's not final for us yet. We are between that time and the future time, right now. This body, you'll be glad to hear, is not it. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise the Lord. It's pretty miraculous, this body. It is, is fearfully and wonderfully made. It's an amazing thing. But we're going to be glorified out of this mortal temple into the immortal. The idea of resurrection, actually, in this verse here, the word his, I should turn on my little pointer here, the word his here, is actually not in the Greek. Like that? For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of resurrection. We shall be also. This is, Paul talks about dying with Christ and now living for him, but this he, he throws into the future. And he says there's still something to happen in the future. That as Christ was raised from the dead and he's in his glorified body, something of that sort is happening for us future. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. There is something of the future in this. We died with Christ when we trusted him as saviour. We've been raised of sorts to walk in newness of life now, but we shall be changed and we shall live with him. That's not all. There's a fifth point. So Christ died in history, rose in history. We died with Christ when we placed our saving faith in him as saviour. We will be raised by him as he was raised and glorified. These truths are to impact the Christian life and true spirituality. But in the present life, we are to live by faith as though we are dead now. Most problems in the church and amongst believers are caused by people who are living to themselves. Living to themselves. This is a a major issue that Paul talks about, being dead to self. Most of our contentions are that we are living to self. So Paul says we are to live by faith as though we are dead. Romans 6, 10 to 11. For the death that he died, past tense, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, now, he lives to God. Likewise, you also. Likewise, in the same way, think this way. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Past tense. That that we've died but we're alive presently to God. See yourself in this way, as having died to sin and alive to God. So it's not just a a matter of, you know, and so often the Christian gets caught up with his battle with sin and praise God that, that when we experience that battle with sin, that's a good indication that our lives are actually alive to God because we're battling with sin. But if our focus sometimes can shift a little bit away from that battle onto living for God 
our minds will actually be more consumed with the productive side of how we can be beneficial to the kingdom of God here and now. Even that is not all. Remember the words rejected and slain, that's not all there is to Christianity. Rejected, slain, resurrected, raised. These were the three words that we spoke of. So Christ died in history. He rose in history. Third, we died with Christ when we placed our saving faith in him. We will be raised by him as he was raised. We are to live by faith as though we are dead. The sixth point, we are to live by faith now as though we had already been raised from the dead. Now, these things are very closely linked in. This is the message of the Christian life. And this is the the consideration that we're giving. So there's an overlapping of these ideas, an overlapping in the, you know, in the biblical thinking of these ideas that we will be raised with Him, and we're to live as though we are dead to sin, but we're also to live now by faith as though we had already been raised from the dead. That's the message of Christianity. Therefore. We were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now Paul, in Romans 6, he's trying to affect their thinking. The term used by uh, one fantastic biblical scholar is biblical psychology and the trouble is that psychology today is so fraught with all kinds of wrong thinking but biblical psychology is allowing our minds to think the word psychology in and of itself is not a sinful word you know but biblical psychology is when you and I our minds are being shaped to think as the Bible would have us think and so Paul is talking to the Roman church here and he's trying to help them to think scripturally about death, resurrection, living now, the future events. He's trying to get them to think this way. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. He's not speaking here of the future millennium. He's not speaking of eternity. He's talking about how we're to walk now. It's now that your life and my life needs to matter. This is the time you have to impact your family. This is the time which you have to, to live for God in this world. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. How? How should we no longer be slaves of sin? Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. This is biblical psychology. See yourself. By having placed faith in Jesus Christ, Paul says, you've been crucified with him. Your old man is dead. 
He will say to the Corinthian church, Therefore, anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old has gone. All things have become new. Dead to sin. Why? How can he say that we are dead to sin right now? Because he's saying you died with Jesus. Now live to God. Christ died in history. This is the basic consideration of the Christian life here. Christ died in history, rose in history. We died with Christ. When we placed our saving faith in him, we'll be raised with him, by him as he was raised. We're to live by faith as though we're dead. We're to live by faith now as though we had already been raised from the dead. Our resurrection to new life is somewhat different in this sense. So what does this mean in practice? These should not just be words going over in our head, but this should affect the way we think so that it affects the way we live. Firstly, it certainly means that in our thoughts and our lives now, we are to live as though we had already died, live as though we had already been resurrected, live as though we had already been in heaven, live as though we have come back to rule and reign. That understanding this is important, and Chris read out of Ephesians 2, where Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and he says to them that you were dead in sin, trespass and sin, you've been raised to new life, and you are seated with him in heavenly places. Where was the church when he wrote that? Well, they were in Ephesus. That's where they were. But he's talking about something of a spiritual reality. That understand this, that in the scheme of God, the way God sees things now, he sees you in Christ Jesus seated in heavenly places. Hallelujah. Ephesians 2. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. He will later explain how that takes place, the gift of salvation through faith. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. When you were saved, you were seated in a heavenly place. But I'm pretty sure I can see you here at 66 Bradman Drive right now. Mm-hmm. But this is the, the eternal reality of it. Here's Paul, the man who was caught up into heaven. And he says that right now you're seated with him in heavenly places. Paul saw the positional reality that we have. He saw and understood that, that positionally this is the reality of your Christian life. Have you placed faith in Jesus Christ? Yes. Well, then you died with him. You've been raised with him and glorified with him to be seated in heavenly places. That's now. So live like that is what he's saying. Live that way. So many of our struggles and our battles are because we are so rooted here in this life. 
so worried about our money, so worried about our job, so worried about uh, you know the family relationships, church relationships, whatever it might be. Surely, this kind of passage is worth us meditating on, that we would grasp a picture of that and that we would be able to take that to God in prayer and, and say, Lord, help me to see this like Paul wrote it. But Romans 6 doesn't leave it there. It's not just a projecting of our imaginations. Paul's not saying, hey, dream about heaven. For in that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Jesus Christ lives indeed, in fact, in the presence of the Father. And this is where we are called to live. Romans 6 verse 10, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 11 says, verse 10 says, For the death that he died, (coughs) he died to sin once for all. The life that he lives, he lives to God. He died. And now he lives to God. You also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the vital factor. This is where a lot of theological debates among people uh, really get miss this point. That all of the spiritual truths concerning your salvation and and your uh, present sanctification and your being seated with Christ in heavenly places are all hinging upon this issue of being alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so it is death in order to be alive. If you want to bring your relationship with someone to life, die to self a little bit more. Remove yourself as an object of contention in that situation. In this present life, our call to faith is that we should live as though dead to all things. Now, this is a challenge. This is, these are simple words to say and difficult words to live. Because it is that challenge that, that where Paul says, I find myself doing things that I don't want to do. There's a battle. There's a war within. This comes back to an issue we've spoken about in weeks past about contentment. Being content. So this is the basic consideration of the Christian life. And this will allow us to move on from here. Christ died in history. This is a fact of history. He rose in history. He was seen in geographical locations. Events and times were described and uh, uh, seen by a witness, several witnesses, many witnesses, up to 500 on one occasion. Different locations were described. By faith in Christ Jesus, we died with Christ when we placed our saving faith in him. We will be raised finally by him as he was raised in an actual resurrection. Hallelujah. My boss was asking me if I believed the Bible and he asked me if I believed in a resurrection. Doesn't that sound far-fetched? And um, 
I said it sounds about uh, a lot less far-fetched than everything coming from nothing. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you don't believe, if you believe in evolution, that's what you believe. That That's one of the theories, the prominent one, that everything came out of nothing. You believe this is far-fetched. I said, at least we're talking about matter that already exists now, being resurrected. You know, that got him thinking. <laughs> I'm very happy to that he even asked me. He asked in a somewhat condescending and mocking way, but you know it was good that the ball's rolling. We're to live by faith now as though we are actually dead, that we've died with Christ. And sixth, we are to live by faith now in, the, in this present history as though we have already been raised from death. Amen? This, this is biblical psychology. This is how the biblical Christian thinks about things, that we are positionally already seated with him in glory. But we're here, and we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. We're here between the, the point in which we got saved and the point in which we will be glorified. And, and this part of the journey is where we work out the true spirituality of the Christian life. One last time on Romans 6 verse 10. For the death that he died. Why don't we read this together? For the death that he died. He died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives. He lives to God. Likewise you also. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. But alive to God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Think. Account it to yourselves this way. That's what he says when he says, reckon yourselves. Do the, do the balance sheet and understand that this is where you're at in life. That you yourselves are dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we've mentioned these a couple of times. Romans 6, Galatians 2. Through death to resurrection. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.